Hi, friend. Welcome to episode 39 of Sally's Performing Arts Lab podcast. Today, you'll hear my long-awaited talk with the multi-talented founders of Lojo Works, Tim Long and Jerome Johnson. Sally Pal podcast host, Sally Adams. Every week, I talk to people about creating original work for a live audience. Send an email anytime to sally at sallypal.com. Your ideas keep great conversations coming every week. Check out sallypal.com slash join for a cool free theater resource. It's never too late to sign up to have access to the creator's notebook. I'm interested in knowing what creators need as a performing arts resource. If there are things you want included in the Creator's Notebook, let me know by sending an email to sally at sallypal.com. I read them all. Be sure and listen until the end of the interview for concise advice from the interview and words of wisdom from George. Tim Long and Jerome Johnson met in 1991 at Okmulgee High School in Oklahoma when Tim was a young substitute teacher doing music and art on the side and Jerome was a high school kid into street dancing. But today the pair formed the foundation of Lojo Works Productions. The innovative stage and screen entertainment company blends hip-hop culture with traditional genres and has garnered some very high-level attention. Tim's art label, Touched, that's T-U-T-C-H-T, Imaging, creates graphic art featuring models of color. Before collaborating on their first full book musical, A Song of Greenwood, in the late 1990s, the two collaborated on projects for the church they both attended. Higher Dimensions Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, led by Carlton Pearson, encouraged the pair's creative expression and led to a working partnership. Their current project, Roofless, started as a dance concert, directed by the inimitable Tyrone Wilkerson for American Theatre Company in Tulsa. They worked the Roofless script into a full-blown musical and were awarded a place in 2004 into the ASCAP Foundation Disney Musical Theater Workshop. When they were accepted, Michael Kirker, director of musical theater for ASCAP, told them wicked composer Stephen Schwartz was really impressed by their work. Tim and Jerome have been mentored by Kirker and Schwartz ever since. In 2005, they won the Harold Arlen Musical Theater Award, and since that time, the show has been called Groundbreaking, Genius, and The Future of the Musical by people who know what they're talking about. Tim has a background in film. He's a 1988 graduate of the famously innovative Cal Arts. He and Jerome have been working on a new approach to Roofless. They gave Sally Pal an exclusive reveal of what's next for this amazing show, and it's going to expand the musical form on so many levels. Tim and Jerome already have experience creating a blend of new and old that they both love. In the short film Hot Foot, Jerome choreographs famous hip-hop dance artist Lil Buck in a silent movie that also features Jerome's eight-year-old son, Sage. I've followed Lojo Works for a few years, and it's really great to see this pair experiencing the success they deserve. There's more ahead for both of these extraordinarily talented friends. 
They talk about a lot of exciting new things happening in the worlds of musical theater, film, and hip-hop, including Lin-Manuel Miranda's works In the Heights and Hamilton, and the work of artists like Little Buck. You'll also hear Jerome's son Sage in the background. His wife Tiff also makes a brief appearance. If you listen to the podcast, be sure and listen until the end of the interview for concise advice from the interview and words of wisdom from George. Let's get started. Jerome Johnson and Tim Long for joining me on Sally Pal. Thank you, Sally Pal. I am so excited to have you guys, and your schedule's been pretty crammed full, so you haven't had a whole lot of time <laughs> for a social call. <laughs> we stay busy. Yeah. Hey, you have to answer a question for me first that I'm, I'm sure I'm just a, not getting it, but you have something that's spelled capital T, little u, capital T, little c-h-t-p-t. What is that? Yes, that is the graphics part of what we do. It's really just me as a graphic artist. It's pronounced touched. It started just as a photo retouch business, as a sideline, but it quickly turned into our production art branch. Gorgeous, and it definitely has a singularity to it. Well, thank you. I guess that's good. Singularity is always good for us. So. <laughs> there is something unique about what you're doing, and it's absolutely gorgeous work. Well, I appreciate it. It branches into other areas that are that are also associated with what we're doing with Lojo Works. I focus a lot on male models of color and entertainers of color. It's a good calling card for us. Is that your brainchild? Yes, yes. Tell me how that got started. Well, from the get-go, it's always been art and music for me really more than theater, but art and music. I started composing very early on, about 12 years old, I think, is my first song. <laughs> um, but it, I was always an artist. My education career branch was in animation. So I was always wanting to be a Disney animator. And you went to California Institute of the Arts. Yes, I did at, at a very good time when the, the last of the Disney artists were still there teaching. The original... You know, the ones that worked on the, the classics. That was very exciting and a really hot time, too. It was great for getting in on the tail end of the, the originators, but it was a little, it predated the musical renaissance. It was before Little Mermaid. That's an interesting juxtaposition because you were there before they all came out. And yet here you are branching off into the musical theater world in a slightly different way. For me, it was always these weird, disparate interests. And I wasn't real sure what I should throw myself into completely until our first full stage production. That's when it all kind of made sense. Is that the one that you called, was it Toppers? <laughs> no, that was just the, that was the original concept that turned into Roofless years later. <laughs> no, the, the first full book musical we did was A Song of Greenwood in 19, we started on it in 96, yeah. I think. And uh, staged it in 98. Jerome, had you gotten out into the world at that point? Yeah, I was, uh, well, we started Sunk Greenwood. I was out, and Tim and I, yes, we met back when he was subbing, and when I was in high school, I was just a street dancer, and he was doing music production, and... Yeah, like, I was doing all these things. All these different, <laughs> just projects for, like, youth. So it was real drawing 
to for us, me and my friends, we used to go to his house and rap and do songs and and we do talent shows and all you know. So, but me and him had more of a connection, like a more of an art connection. And more of a work ethic connection. Yeah, yeah. I think I realized this kid was beyond his years in terms of focus. So he became a right-hand man pretty quick. That must have been very exciting for you, Jerome, to feel like someone got you. Yeah, yeah, it did. And it also kind of broadened my horizons because I I was really just mainly into, like, hip-hop and rap. We started hooking up doing projects, and I started, you know, we started doing, like, stuff that had classical music in it and musical theater in it and... I started seeing all these other realms of art, and, you know, my my eyes were opened. (laughs) (laughs) And it gets you to 2004 when you all end up at the ASCAP Disney Workshop. Well, that's quite a leap from <laughs> yeah. from Altmogi to Los Angeles. Yeah. I know you had Song of Greenwood in there and it had several iterations, but then the one that really got you where you are now is this musical that started out with this name that I know you regret putting it out there. Yeah. Yes. But the name became Roofless. Yes. Tell me a little bit about Roofless and how that got started. When we did Song of Greenwood, that was our first stab at a full book musical. And you got to remember, we have no training in this area at all. Neither of us Especially are. At this, yeah. Yeah, neither of us are really theater people. We love musicals, but mostly film musicals. Neither of us have seen or been involved in stage musicals very much. So when we did Song of Greenwood, that's when everything came together. And we thought, ah, oh, this is it. This is our zone. And we picked the, you know, the Tulsa Race Riot or, or Massacre, whatever you'd like to call it. I've been using Massacre lately. It's I've done enough research. As you know, I've been working on some stuff around that, too. Yes, yes. I can't call it a riot anymore. Yeah, right. Right. Exactly. We still say it for shorthand and when we need to. But uh, but when we when we started that, that, that was the obvious first subject we should tackle. So we were working on that. And we realized, oh, this is the area we can use everything. So we we had done our first staging of Song of Greenwood. And we were coming up on the 80th anniversary of the riot. So we thought we'll probably, you know, work on it and do it again then. So we had a, a couple years stretch. And the whole time we had, we had really wanted to incorporate what we were learning from doing a book musical with problems that we were seeing in some of the groups we were dealing with, some of the social problems. And also hip-hop. Even though Song of Greenwood was, you know, it's... 20s based jazz but these are these are really all our amazing hip-hop dancers doing this so it had that it had the flavor but there were there were some curbs on it we were anxious to shed in terms of genre so ruthless was always like our next musical definitely is going to be hip-hop and we'll be able to um explore you know we'll have more freedom to explore issues so it, it actually started as a dance concert musical each each little segment had its own storyline and, and had a song or dance uh, associated with it. And they, it most, you know, it dealt with social issues of the day that, that a lot of these kids were dealing with or that we were seeing around us. And it became obvious pretty early on that we were trying to find a theme and it became obvious that, that uh, suicide was a theme. So we kind of, we didn't promote it like that. But that kind of became the thread that stitched through all these kids. All of them were on this, on the verge. On the ledge. Yeah, yeah on the ledge, exactly. Which is where the, the metaphor comes into play. These are all kids being pushed to the edge in their own personal problems and trying to decide how to handle it. And then the finale is, right before the finale, the 11th hour number, 
they kind of all run to the ledge and we have a blackout. And then the finale is a song called Another Day where they decide, now we can do this. So that's what Ruthless was. And the way we got to LA is we, we had a decision to make after we did it and it was successful. Uh, we did it in Tulsa and Dallas and then American Theater Company picked it up for their production the next year that Tyrone Wilkerson directed. And Tyrone Wilkerson, man, what a great guy oh, he was. Awesome. Incredible. Yeah. And such such a cheerleader for us and, and a mentor. Um, but we were, we were at a point after the second production where American Theater Company wanted to make it an annual event. Is yep. that right, Jerome? Yep. And we had to decide we want to branch out and try to write bigger. So we made the decision to experiment with going national and kind of put our local work on hold for about a year maybe and see if we had a chance of really being able to write you know on a broadway level or going towards commercial style productions bigger productions someone says you can and all of a sudden it gets pretty scary pretty fast <laughs> right exactly yeah. It is, yeah it's still scary right <laughs> <laughs> And that's, that's kind of how it happened. We, we were blindly submitting to all these things we found online, you know, little workshops and places where they, they'll stage a, a reading of your work or whatever. And we applied to a bunch of them. And suddenly, out of the blue, it's, it's kind of fuzzy <laughs> in my memory. But we drove yeah. over how? I mean, that was at the point that we were kind of... Uh, that was also at the point where it was like, I don't know if we're going to keep doing this. Right. right. So we'll, <laughs> we'll submit. <laughs> and if something happens good, okay, we'll keep foot on the gas. And, you know, if, if we get, you know, if they accept us and uh, bring us to do the musical. If not, then we may want to yeah, we were now. <laughs> we were worn worn pretty thin after you know our productions are, are big. Yes, I do know that. Yeah. And a lot of fundraising, whole lot of fundraising, and, you know, probably 80% fundraising, 20% art. Yeah, and you do, I'm sure you do start to question, you know, we thought this was going to take us this direction, and yet you spend the majority of your time trying to raise money, which doesn't feel like you're doing art, but that's the way right. it is. Right, you know? right. That's, that's the real art. <laughs> yeah, so we were kind of deciding, do we want to move forward, or was this just a nice hobby, and let's Let's get real jobs now. You know, let's grow up now. <laughs> Every artist knows that feeling. But we got we got a call. Seems like it was shortly after the holidays or before the holidays. Out of the blue, got a call from Michael Kirker at ASCAP. Wow. That's like the top of the line there. Yeah, we had no clue at the time. You know, we just thought, oh, this must be one of those oh, things yeah. we submitted for. And he said, Stephen Schwartz loves your demo. And we were like, what? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Yeah, Stephen Schwartz, the composer of Wicked and Godspell. Yes. And, yeah. yeah, and he said they'd, they'd been doing the workshops for 10 years um, in L.A. and New York, and they'd never had anything like this musical. So they were they were anxious to get us there and, and uh, work with us. So that's how L.A. happened, and that's how we stumbled backwards into that circle. And we didn't know we were different either. No. We probably did a little bit, but we were we just kind of did a musical that was us. I love that. Say something about that, because I think that's one of the most encouraging things. We, as artists, believe that we're creating something and it's already been done. Or You come to discover that maybe your voice is unique. I think we were lucky by being 
perpetual outsiders because we we didn't go through the college route learning how to write musicals. We didn't go through the theater course. It's you know we suffer a lot because of that. But on the on the other hand, naivete was our greatest ally. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so it, it also you know we have a different a different voice coming from a small town in Oklahoma. Right. And at that no you know. A, a lot of people hadn't heard that <laughs> yeah. that voice. And I, I, even a unique voice in that setting, being a you know a white guy and a black guy with strange cross interests. I'm glad we didn't pass that because I think that's a really important part of your message, your uh, style, your art, is that you're blending so much, not the least of which is you're from different backgrounds. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, we were different even in our small town. <laughs> Definitely from different sides of the track. But you've been very open about it with each other and talked about it. And you're still to this day, it seems like, when I went to that reading, you're very open about blending all of that. Oh, yeah. It's always it's always been that way. We were members of Higher Dimensions Church, Carlton Pearson's Church, which was, at that time, you know, there were some interracial churches around the country, but this was the only one that was led by a, a black minister. So that, you know, that just kind of fed into what we already were. As artists, you really do have to look at those issues a little deeper than most people do, I think. Between the two of us, they were always pretty easy. I can't speak for Jerome, but speaking for me, I was always someone who liked to explore boundaries. I would like to go to a black church every now and then to experience the music, you know, in, in our small town. Usually the only white person in there. So I was a always open in that way and I think he was too yeah I think so too I I, I don't think I think about it that much I just do right. <laughs> you know and I don't know I mean I, I, I know I didn't put that much thought into it I just kind of flow and do what <laughs> yeah, I did, right <laughs> I didn't either so interpersonally it was always easy I think when we started having to create work that spoke to larger audiences we had to put some more thought into it Right. I don't think we slaved over it. I think we just kind of did what we do. Another cool thing about Higher Dimensions is it was made up of about half of it were people who grew out of the black church tradition. And the other half were people that came from, you know, Protestant traditions. And so there was always kind of a an understanding in that church about white people joking about how black people worship and vice versa. We like to call ourselves in the Presbyterian Church the Frozen Chosen. Yes. I grew up Southern Baptist, so I've heard that. I've been under that moniker before. I used to do a little music group at our church, and we'd clap, and we had a drummer and a electric instruments, and afterwards you could look at the stunned faces of everyone in the congregation. You know, their eyebrows were up into their hairlines. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Tell me about the dance part of it, Jerome, because that's really your area of expertise. When you started thinking about putting stories on as opposed to putting dances on, how did that change your approach? Growing up, you just watch music videos and you don't think about telling the story. You just make everything look good, you know, just dancing to a beat. Once I got introduced to storytelling... Dancing and you don't need words to to tell a story that that really broadened my <laughs> you know what I wanted to do. It's like oh this is great, you can do a whole show and not have to say a word 
Did you start really looking at other things besides music videos or did you start talking to dancers? How, how did you approach it? Yeah, I started watching everything that I could, getting my hands on everything that I could, like, uh, especially when I started watching filmed musicals, uh, like Three Little Words, <laughs> and I started watching the, the choreography, and like, I remember Fiddler on the Roof, and West Side Story was one of my favorite dance musicals, and I started trying to incorporate what I saw them doing. When we started having opportunity to go into narrative-based dances, Drone took to it like a fish to water. I mean, it, it was completely natural. We did a thing. It was really a precursor to Ruthless. This was probably 97? Stand in the Wind, yeah. 97, 8. It was called Stand in the Wind, and it was really just, I'd create a musical track that was just kind of full of angst. <laughs> and we had, we were uh, part of the hip-hop dance group at, at uh, Higher Dimensions. This is part of an Easter production we did there. Really, I just handed it over to Jerome, and I still remember being shocked at how easily he tapped into emotions and storytelling there, and also how easily the all the dancers got it. I mean, there you know there were some visual metaphor, a lot of visual metaphors in that in that dance. You know, pulling people back, raising them up, things. And these aren't trained. Yeah, dance these are street dancers that yeah. you know that didn't have any formal training, but they picked up on it and got it just got it you know yeah isn't that exciting when that starts happening do you just love that it just clicks yeah Yeah. Yeah. song greenwood is three-fourths musical comedy before it gets heavy at the end so a lot of character-based goofy style choreography and again jerome just excelled at that his sense of if you ever see him on stage you've heard him in a reading but if you ever seen on stage his sense of comic timing is oh you're so nice <laughs> it's it's amazing i'll show you some stuff from the archives sometimes sally jerome tell me are you still interested in continuing to be a performer not so much these days i'm interested in doing choreography but myself performing i'm not as much interested anymore. My body hurts. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about, did your son just decide he was interested in it on his own or did you encourage him? I mean, how did that happen? Oh, he didn't even like, so we're doing this project called Hotfoot. It's a silent movie treatment uh, with, it has Little Buck in it, world famous street dancer Little Buck. And there was a part in it for a kid. And I was like, you know, let's just try my son. Let's, let's not even, <laughs> let's just try him. Cause you know, we all this looking around and casting, we may get out of this one easy. And he was, <laughs> he didn't know what he was doing. I just say, Hey, uh, Sage, I'm going to put you in old fashioned clothes. Look at this Charlie Chaplin movie. And he was like, <laughs> what? Cause he's like eight years old. He's like, what do you mean? I'm not going to, there's no talking. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, you're going to have fun. You're going to have a great costume. You don't have to do any talking. And you get to meet little Buck and maybe do some dancing with him. And he was able to, uh, I don't know, he was able to pick up on it really fast. The best part is he's free. And he's free. <laughs> well, actually, there's a lot of volunteerism going on in that project. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> it just, hey, to let you know, Sally, he comes from good lineage. I don't know if you know that uh, Jerome's wife, we cast her. <laughs> she, was, she was. We met her in, in auditions for Song of Greenwood. Yes. And she's an incredible dancer herself. So you have a family of dancers. Yeah. Say hi, Tim. <laughs> she just walked in. Say hi. Hi. 
Hi. <laughs> it's really great when you can share it with your family. I have two playwrights in my family as well. Very, very successful ones. Yeah. Being able to share something like that, like when you're at home and somebody says, do you mind if we read this out loud? Right, right. right. That's not normal, you know. Like when you guys are talking about a dance combination or something, people don't do that in their homes. They watch Jeopardy, you know? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it feels like you have forged beyond your own family and created this family of performers because everything I see and all of the people I've met seem very committed. Like you said, there's a lot of volunteerism, but I think that speaks of the level of commitment of the people who work with you. Oh, definitely. One advantage of being in Tulsa or a Tulsa is that a lot of times we were a little ahead of the curve in what was available for musical theater. You know, this is pre-Hamilton. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of people were, were drawn to what we were doing. It's like, oh, this is this is kind of what I was wanting to do. You know, combine hip-hop, be able to rap in a musical. Have you had any chances to see any of his uh, workshop stuff or meet him? I'm talking about Lin-Manuel Miranda. Uh, we saw him. He passed us on the street. Yeah, we saw him in New York once. <laughs> right. He's he passed us, by. and we just kind of said, hey. <laughs> Most of the time, he feels like an older sibling. We've, we've known about him forever. We've never actually met him, but we've, we've known about him forever. We have so much respect for him, especially when I heard Hamilton, I was like, oh my God, boy, did he get it. He definitely does open up his process, which is nice. Right. Speaking of process, Hot Foot for you kind of came out of the process where you were working on Roofless and you were, I think, at a little bit of a stopping place. We've we've had many stopping places with Roofless. Right now we're at a stopping place at, during this interview. <laughs> <laughs> One of the, the early things Stephen Schwartz advised us was always have several projects because there will be times where you have to stop working on something. Set it to the side for a little bit, work on something else. So yeah, so we'd always, there were points where we felt like, oh, we're close, we're close. And then you do a reading and realize, oh, all of Act Two has to go. Or, you know, something like that. So yeah. you're back to square one. But we've always had a, a, a slate of projects. And we've always wanted to get into filmmaking. My formal training in, in animation is actually through film school. I'm a film school student, and film was always my first love more than stage. So we always were looking for that opportunity to get into to film. And we'd been forming all these relationships with, with great street dancers. So we, we decided, let's try to make some short films. And our first project, you know, started short and kept expanding. <laughs> so that's what, what Hot Foot is. I'd love to know about where you are with Roofless now. Nope, sorry. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> no I'm, I'm joking. We, uh, at our, our last table reading, you attended the table reading in Tulsa... Was that 2000, maybe 14, early 15? Maybe in 2015. Right. So at that point, we were we were in talks with Stephen Schwartz. So our table reading with you guys was to help polish some edges before we did that. Oh, that was so exciting. We really appreciate you being yeah. there, seriously. <laughs> I was thrilled and I was honored. I appreciate that. But uh, so we did our reading with Stephen Schwartz in, I guess that was 2016. 16. In April. So we... How how long of a story do you want here, Sally? Do you want me to Because <laughs> I tend to talk. Give me the highlights. Give me the highlights. Okay, the highlights. So so we did our reading with Stephen Schwartz and basically realized, you know, we were back at the same place we keep coming to, which is we have too much story. 
So this was this was our tenth draft, I think, um, probably tenth draft, and each time, you know, we would remove characters, remove storylines, and it just wasn't working. We decided, okay, between their advice and where we felt we were, we decided let's just sit on this a while and decide what to do. So we focused on Hotfoot and some other things, and then we had a brainstorm. We had a the light bulb went off, and we thought instead of all these years trying to cut and cut and cut and make it still work with things cut out of it, why don't we look into something that's expanded? Can I say this? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so. What would that look like? Well, we decided to, to try to write this as a multi-episode extended series. Wow. And that's the, we've been on that path for about six months, I yeah. think. And it, it really seems to be solving a lot of a lot of issues. So do you imagine focusing on a character or two in each section of stories? Um, yes and no. Overall, we're kind of sticking with everything we've learned on the journey that, you know, we need to, the story needs to be about these specific things. But having multiple episodes gives you an opportunity to take one episode to dig into yeah. a character. We're able to pull in a lot of songs that had to be cut in the past. And what's the reaction you're getting to that? Have you shared that with anybody? We have had no reaction yet. You're the first. Yes, you are exclusive. I'm so excited. <laughs> I had to look at Jerome like, are we ready to tell this? <laughs> I just want to encourage you. I think it sounds fantastic. You're on the precipice of something really big. Well, I think that that 180 degree turn, instead of trying to compress and compress and compress, realizing, well, why don't we try the exact opposite and expand? I think that's where the where the second wind came from. I agree. It feels like you're talking about something more operatic in scale. Yeah, and I think yeah. that's what's, that's, that's kind of in our blood, bigger and broader and more epic. Our reviews and, and critiques from industry insiders have always been along the lines of, there are parts of this that are incredible. We love all this and this and this. You just, it's just too much. That's where we always did the work and came up short. Like, well, it doesn't, it doesn't, have, the, it doesn't have the magic, you know, that it had before. So, you know, for a, a long time, we, we rode on this wave of there are no hip-hop musicals. Not that there aren't, but, they, but then, you know, um, In the Heights and, uh, and then Hamilton. Now that's, you know, doing a hip-hop musical for Broadway, it's kind of like, yeah, of course, everyone's doing them now. To look at other areas, like a, an extended miniseries for film, that's still kind of a new thing. That's so exciting. That's so exciting. What kind of advice would you give to someone whose ideas don't fit the norm? Because that's sometimes very hard. You don't have a template. I think about this a lot. <laughs> and and I have no answer. <laughs> no, I think... I mean, I wonder, I wonder how we got where we, we are, and if we had known more, if, if we would have still gone down this path. Yeah, I, yeah, I think it's because, you, like you said, naivete, that we <laughs> kept going down the road. And, you know, you can't stop too long to listen to, to stuff. You just got to keep putting your, your foot on the gas and going. Right. One, one thing that Stephen Swartz told us is, you know, listen to everyone's critiques because all of them have a grain of truth in it. But when it comes to 
how to fix or how to change or how to solve, that's where you should only listen to really knowledgeable people and, and kind of throw off a lot of advice you get from other places. So one bit of advice is don't try to reshape what you have in order to fit in where you think the market is. But on the other hand, you, you kind of have to get in the system. We had to get in the system to get the kind of the caliber of advice we needed. We, we needed a Steven Swartz and, and people of that caliber telling us what was wrong story-wise or, or saying, well, you can look at this, this, and this. So it's kind of a, you can't be an island. You know, you can't, you can, you can just do your production in your, in your hometown with, you know, the, as much money as you can scrape together. But if you want to broaden your audience, then you're going to have to kind of get into the system and start getting advice. And then it just, you know, it happens naturally. If, if you start, here's the deal. If you, if you start with this idea you were born to do, and if it's that strong of an idea, it's not going to lead you. You're not going to allow it to change too much. So as you go down the path, like for Ruthless, it was, we need to take out all the violence and the, the cursing. <laughs> we're like, this show wouldn't quite work. We have other shows, but this show, no. So you kind of know, like Jerome said, you don't hesitate too long. You just got to get your foot back on the gas. There's going to be a lot of closed doors saying this doesn't fit this, this doesn't fit that. You can't do that here. You know, you'll have to change it like this. But... If it's something you've got to get out of you, you'll just keep working on it. To sum that up, and you may, you may want to cut some of that blah, 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 blah. To sum it up, I think you need to know your voice, and you need to get into some legitimate circles to try to develop and hone it, even if what you're doing is completely different. People like different. You know, people in the industry like different. Yeah. So as you go through those steps, then you'll kind of realize what path you should take. So so just keep moving forward. That's the advice. If it's something you got to do, just keep doing it and try to surround yourself with really smart people. You know, eventually you'll find uh, where your project should be. I will tell you, Tim and Jerome, both of you, I hear a level of confidence in your speaking that's so encouraging. You're very aw shucks about it, which is so sweet but you are clearly knowledgeable and uh, you've been through enough to be able to say you have a sense of what you need to be doing. Oh, thank you. Thank you for those kind words. Jerome, did you have anything you wanted to add to that bit of advice? Anything you want to throw out there? Uh, no, he kind of rounded it out. I don't want to get into a, a rambling session. so. Um, like I do. <laughs> <laughs> I did. That was pretty good. Okay. Well, you're an action man. I can hear that. <laughs> Well, guys, I am going to wrap this up because I know you need to get back to your lives, but I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you making time for this. I know things are busy, so thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Sal. You're, you're a special person to us in, in a, an area of support and in that area of knowledge I was talking about. Yes, so. we really appreciate you. Once you go up there and get your Tony Award, I'll be hosting a party that night. Oh, <laughs> all right. We'll swing by. <laughs> <laughs> Fabulous. It's time now for Concise Advice from the Interview, where I share bits of advice from my guests, Tim Long and Jerome Johnson. Number nine. Being an outsider can be an advantage. 
use it. Number eight, keep moving forward and surround yourself with smart people. You'll eventually get where you need to go. Number seven, listen to critique for the grain of truth, but take advice from people who know what they're doing. Number six, don't try to reshape what you have to fit the marketplace, but do get in the system to get to the caliber of advice you need. Number five, submit your work once it's performance ready. Number four, get into legitimate circles to hone your voice and your craft. Number three, a great idea will never leave you. Number two, know your voice. And the number one piece of advice from Lojo Works, Tim Long and Jerome Johnson, keep putting your foot on the gas and go. That's it for concise advice from the interview. Check out the blog sallypal.com for articles and podcast episodes, as well as show notes, links, and photos of my guests. You too can be a Sally Pal. Sign up for a free creator's notebook insert at sallypal.com slash join. Thank you for following, sharing, subscribing, reviewing, joining, and thank you for listening. Now I have one bit of wisdom from my husband, George, the coolest guy on the planet. George, what's your wisdom for today? Sometimes people grow in a job, and sometimes they swell. Very true, George. Very true. Excellent wisdom indeed. If you're downloading and listening on your drive to work, or falling asleep to my dooba-dooba foobar like my sister does, let me know you're out there. You're, I, I can want still you recording. to pursue your dream and share your stories. Storytelling through plays, dances, music, and other types of performances is the most important thing we do as a culture. I encourage you to share your stories because you're the only one with your particular point of view. And Sally Pal is here with resources, encouragement, and a growing community of storytellers. You need to tell your stories. All the stories ever expressed once lived only in someone's imagination. Now, keep putting your foot on the gas and go. Inimitable, inimitable. Why did I why did I choose that word? Well, he you can't imitate someone like that. They're inimitable. Unimitatable. Inimitable. Ooh, I'm gonna get it this time. I'm gonna get it this time. Hoi! Is that even the right word? Alamo doesn't have a basement. Mm. Not again. <sighs> what? You were looking at what? My phone dropped. Isn't this fun? Uh, <laughs> we're not real good at this. 
We have footage. <laughs> yes, deep in the vaults. Yeah. <laughs>